Heart of the Matter 2.0, and our program tonight is called Another Joseph Smith? Question mark. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, seek you in this fallen world and uh, desire to have your spirit to lead us and uh, keep us in your will. We pray that we'll be able to talk about important things and uh, uh, move toward uh, better understanding one of another. And in your name, we pray. And we pray for our volunteers. And we pray for uh, those who are in charge of keeping things running technically. We pray for those who are watching uh, via streaming and who will watch on the archives. And of course, our in-house uh, studio church people, grateful for everybody's participation. Be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, remember, we're having a pastor guest a month uh, with us. The next pastor to visit us is going to be on February 13th. What? Oh. They just talk at normal voices in here now. You know, my, I was born, my, it's just unbelievable, the disrespect. Uh, the, uh, we're having, if you're going to be here on February 13th, that's when James White is going to be here from Alpha and Omega Ministries from Phoenix. You want to get here early. Uh, it's going to be a full house, and uh, you can always watch it streaming. Love to have you here. Uh, it's going to be a three-hour deal from uh, 8 to 11. We'll have refreshments, uh, dancing monkeys, and, uh, and then my family will go home and we will... No, just kidding. Uh, a, a, a Tuesday, February 13th, be here early. The doors will open uh, at 6 o'clock because uh, we do another show before that. And then uh, the show will start at 8. Last week, we had the pleasure of having Pastor Mike Imperiale of First Baptist Church, Salt Lake City. And uh, it was good to have him here explain a number of things. And I think it's great because Pastor Mike is a, is a five-point Calvinist. So he and I, theologically, we could not be in further uh, distant places. But he loves the Lord, definitely uh, loves the Lord, gives his life for the work of the Lord. And I try to do the same. And so you can see that, that people can sit and get along in a reasonable conversation. And so I'm hoping that will happen more and more with different pastors. Uh, most of you know that uh, today they, uh, the LDS Church, don't talk too much about Mormonist stuff anymore, but the LDS Church put a new prophet, seer, revelator into the office, uh, Nelson. And uh, here's the thing I just want to say. I suggest everybody spend a lot of time who's in the media and who uh, has an opportunity to ask questions of President Nelson to ask him, when you die, will you have both of your wives for time and all eternity? Uh, President Nelson is one of the first uh, prophets in a while to have been sealed to two women. Uh, and so he was sealed to one, she passed away, he's married to another now who is sealed to him, and so it's a, such a timely question. President Nelson, I wish Dan Rather, if he's still doing this, would ask him, when you die, your viewers want to know, are you going to be with both women for time and all eternity? Because they say they don't believe in polygamy, they say they have nothing to do with Doctrine and Covenants 132, but this is a modern-day prophet sealed to two women. I would, and that would be the first thing, if I ever see him, uh, down at uh, Hooters, I will ask him. Uh, just kidding. Uh, listen, Starbucks. If I see him at Starbucks with a duck double mocha, are you going to be with both wives? Because that tells a lot. 
And so, but anyway, you know that the, the funeral services for Thomas S. Monson were last uh, Friday here in Salt Lake City. And I want to say a couple things about it. First of all, they asked his biographer who wrote the infamous book, the Pulitzer Prize winning To the Rescue, To the Rescue, a Thomas S. Monson biographer. They asked her, what do you think President Monson is right now after he passed? And she said, uh, not, uh, this is paraphrasing, first I think President Monson has met the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, next, I think he met uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley. And third, I think he met his lovely wife. Uh, and that was it. Uh, there was nothing by his biographer that he met Jesus, met God, uh, was basking in the grace of God, the goodness of God. None of that. It's all Joseph Hinckley, wife. And uh, that really summarizes really truly the heart of what happens with people who have been steeped in Mormonism. The second thing is there are electronic billboards here in Utah, and it's one of the only places, but I haven't been outside the state in a while, where they give like a brief biography of people who have passed who are notables on these billboards, especially LDS leaders. Well, the day Monson passed, his picture was up there, and the byline said, 60 years of heartfelt service, okay? Uh, and then the next day, or two days later, I saw, and it was changed to 90 years of heartfelt service. The man was only 91 years old when he died. So the reason I'm pointing this out is that within the LDS substrata of propaganda, a person can never do enough. And that's re-emphasized over the billboard because our dear prophet... He served with heartfelt service for 90 of his 91 years. As a two-year-old, he was serving. Uh, there's no relief in that thing. And uh, I had to point that out. Uh, so sad. Finally, a number of people have asked me my opinion of Thomas S. Monson's whereabouts, especially in light of the fact that I have trouble with eternal punishment uh, and because the Bible has shown me it doesn't teach it through the Greek. Um, and I also have some issues about some other theological things. And so this is what I honestly, from my heart, believe about Thomas S. Monson, that uh, when he died, he met God through Christ, and that he was basking in the light, and he was bathed in the love of God. He was received as a, uh, a creation of God into heaven, and uh, because of Christ's complete, finished, victorious work. I don't believe that he went to hell. I don't believe he went to outer darkness or purgatory or the lake of fire. I think he uh, was judged at his death. I think he was given a spiritual resurrected body at his death. And I think he entered into the presence of God because of Christ. And I think uh, he learned the utter love of God firsthand. Um, and I think that knowing the writings and way of Thomas Monson, he probably looked about and probably, I mean, if he carried forth his personality, he probably thought, I've really made it. Uh, you know, I'm a god. Uh, perhaps. I, I've actually done everything because, man, I am loved here and I'm in the light. Where's my kingdom, you know, Heavenly Father? But then I wonder after a time of self-congratulations, if he might look around and he might begin to disabuse himself of that notion that he acquired here on earth, as he started to look maybe at some of the lower level people 
who are on earth who are bigger and brighter and more glorious than him spiritually. As he kind of wakes up, maybe he looks around and he starts seeing, wow, that bum down the street who was always carrying a, wearing a t-shirt that had a cross on it, he died and he's a giant in spirituality and, and I'm looking kind of small compared to him. Whoa, who's that mountain? Whoa, smaller. Wow. And I think in the end, um, because of what he taught people and what he portrayed to people, my opinion is, yeah, he is with in the realm of God uh, somewhere, but I don't think that Thomas is the spiritual giant he thought he was. I think he had probably a rude awakening of what it was all about. And I think that he felt the love of God, and I don't think he's suffering. I think he's, maybe he has seen his wife, and maybe Joseph and Hinckley are all hanging out. And maybe they all live in the same size houses, uh, you know. I don't know, but I, that's how I would see it, the way I see Scripture today. Take it for what it's worth. Got an important email relative to uh, all we've been talking about here on the show about people who leave the LDS church. Where do they go? This is from, I'm just going to call her Jean. She says, uh, my daughters and I, trying to find an alternative church to attending the Mormon church, have been investigating them. My daughters went to investigate first to check some out for me, seeing that they are more adventuresome. They, attend, they attended the Church of the Brownies, called that because brownies and other refreshments are served during the preaching. See, they kind, of, they kind of give these churches nicknames, and I'll keep to the nicknames. And it was pastored by a woman. Uh, there were maybe five or six in the congregation. Loud rock music recorded for their hymns. Then on another week, they went to the Free Evangelical Church. They dubbed it the Church of Hugs because everyone goes around hugging each other by way of introducing themselves during the opening song called Binding Us Together in Love. So that plays and you do the hug uh, thing there at this church. This was also pastored by a woman. This is not in a very, uh, this is not in a metropolis of Utah. It's out more in an uh, urban area and I mean a suburban area. And um, she said uh, singing was simply folk songs accompanied by her on the guitar. They went to a Baptist church, which they called the Church of Hymns because they sang so many traditional hymns. This church preacher uh, acted anxious to baptize them. The, the congregation was small. It was sort of boring and legalistic. But even though there was only 10 or 15 people in the church, these were new people who were former or who were Mormon checking out a Christian church. And there was an emphasis by everybody to quickly baptize them. Uh, she admits that when she went to the Church of Hugs that she felt very loved and uh, was, it was familiar to her, uh, but immediately felt the pressure to be baptized in uh, the Baptist church. And she just goes on and talks all about the, the experience in another church on Main Street, pastored by another woman. Um, uh, a different daughter was mortified when a guest speaker went around the room speaking loudly, putting his hands on her head, which freaked her out, expecting her to be filled with the Spirit, slain in the Spirit apparently. Other churches were expecting speaking in tongues quickly among them. And so 
uh, people say, well, you know, Sean, what you're doing on your show is unfair, et cetera, et cetera, criticizing the church, churches. There are some good churches out there that people can go to. Uh, but I think that we want to look for those churches that have deconstructed a lot of the junk. And they're just allowing people to kind of discover Christ through the scripture. Worship is very, very, very subjective. And so that plays into it. And find where you're comfortable, find what you like, and, uh, and go from there. I thought that was a good email relative to what we uh, are talking about. Uh, and with that, we're going to have a moment from the Word. We don't have an opening for that because this is HOTM 2.0. So I am going to give you the opening. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. I want to talk to you about a great example of how Jesus frees people and not only frees them, but immediately makes them courageous and how his influence in our life immediately makes us bold especially in the face of religious manipulation. And I'm going to take it straight from the scripture in John chapter 9. In the gospel of John chapter 9, we discover a marvelous story. You all know it, the man born blind. Verse 1, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born blind from birth. All his life he wandered about these surroundings, this man born blind, surrounded by the most religious people on earth, and yet his whole life no one healed him. Okay? He was blind, and they're all saying they have the right God, and they're all doing the right stuff, but yet he stayed blind his whole life, right? At verse 6, we read that he has had an interaction now with Jesus, and uh, that Jesus does heal him, but the thing about that is, is he did it on the darn Sabbath day. Jesus, he was just stirring things up. So it says... Jump to verse 13. He heals him. It's on the Sabbath day, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that was aforetime blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him, How did you receive your sight? He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God. We have a guy born blind, blind his whole life. Jesus gives him sight, but because he did it on the Sabbath, he's not of God. He's not because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what sayest thou of him, him who opened up your eyes? And the man born blind said, he's a prophet. Now, at this point, we start to see automatic bravery. This was a man born blind who had no say in the community. He had nothing he had to offer anybody. And suddenly he's given his sight. And the Sanhedrin, or the Pharisees, ask him, Who is this guy? Who do you think he is? And he says, I think he's a prophet. That's bold. That is so bold. And it's beautiful. Where did the courage come from? Perhaps the man was a bit of a rebel. Maybe he was a, a blind guy who was rebellious in his heart. And it's possible, but generally speaking, especially in that day, a disabled person would do better by being a sycophant and pleasing everybody rather than being a rebel. So I doubt that that's the case. Now, the Jews did not believe that he was born blind, so they call his parents in. And they say to his parents, tell us 
if this kid was born blind, this man was born blind, and they pretty much say, yeah, he was born blind, uh, but it says they were afraid to say anything more because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And it says at verse 22 that if any man did not confess that, if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated from the body of believers there. So the parents are brought before him and said, tell us about your son. They're like, ask him. We, we don't have much to say. We don't want anything to do with this because we don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue because that meant you're going to starve to death. You're going to have no family, no friends, and you will starve. No way to make a living, right? So the parents cowered to the threat and gave him nothing. Verse 24, then called they the man who was born blind and said, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. So this is the third time they could bring him in, right? And here we come to a common impasse that exists between religionists and their rulers, and those who choose to define them. The rulers say, we know this, we know that, this is how you should see things, so you best call them a sinner and separate yourself from them, or you're going to feel our wrath. It happens anytime someone has an independent thought that's different from the rulers of their church, their pastoral group, their deacons, the stupid mission statements, whatever it is. Anytime some, if you say, you better admit to this or you're going to be cut out. And we see it all the time. Uh, we also see that they took Jesus and they said, he's a sinner. He's a heretic. He is threatening our power base. Cut him out. He's an apostate from the faith. Religious men criticizing other men and women who do or say things that don't measure up to what they want you to say and believe. And man, we're going to see that in the coming weeks, the coming months, where we're going to have more people on here and they do not agree with things I agree with and they will say, no, no, no. And that's what's happening. The interesting thing here is that we are not talking about me here, or Joel Osteen, or Joyce Meyer, uh, whoever. Uh, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is walking around, and they said, he's a sinner. He's not of God. This is what the man born blind says, verse 25. Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. <laughs> but one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. So, I mean, can't we say that? Whether that person or not, I can't judge their character, but all I know is I was this way, and now I'm this way. And that's what we say about Jesus. I can't tell you this or that, but I can tell you this. I'm a new man. So when people start debating and arguing about all the nuances of ontology of God and, and all these things they want you to conform to, say, look it, all I can tell you this is I was once this way, and I'm now this way, and he's my God and Savior and whatever I think he is. And let's just leave it at that. The proof is in the pudding, folks. Or as Jesus taught, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And in the case of religious leaders today, it seems to me that the demanding, dogmatic, despotic ones are the ones producing the bad fruit. It's the ones who are producing anger and vitriol and separation and division and punishment and gossip on people who don't conform to the way they have constructed their little empire. That seems to be the bad fruit. 
Not someone who has some strange ideas, but who is loving Jesus. You know, that is not the bad fruit. Not somebody who is, has problem with sin and is praising Jesus. That's not bad fruit. That, that's exactly what Jesus came for. The bad fruit to me are the people who are pinning people down the way the religious rulers did in Jesus' day. The Pharisees replied, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And it's here that we get the courage. It's such a beautiful line, verse 27. And he answered them, I have told you already, and you didn't hear. This is a guy talking to the most frightening group of men in all of Israel. I've told you already, and you didn't hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Would you also be his disciples? He gets sarcastic with them. Would you come and join too? The guy's response was so bold, so much so that in verse 20 it says, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple, and we know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not whence he is. Look at the power shift. The Pharisees, the most powerful men in all of Israel, in an argument with a man who just hours before was blind from birth. Look at the power shift. Now that little weak man blind from birth suddenly has a voice there in, in, to these religious leaders. And they're fighting with, they're justifying themselves about being with Moses. Listen to this, verse 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he's opened my eyes. Know you not that God hears not sinners, but if any man must be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth? He's preaching now. He says, since the world began was not heard of any man having the eyes open that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he can do nothing. You know what this is? This is a mini sermon now. This guy's gone from degradation to preaching on his own. No ordination. No one saying it's okay. It's the power of God ringing a miracle in this guy. And now he's preaching to the most religious group on earth. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, You were altogether born in sin, and you teach us? Look how the thing is, it's, it's, it's completely degraded. The conversation is just completely falling apart, and now it's ad hominem attacks. Now the Jewish leaders, they don't even have the law to go by. They have not the traditions. They're saying, you were born in sin. And they cast him out. They excommunicated him. Which is what religious leaders do. They besmirch your character because you don't go with their thing. And then they cast you out so you can't have an effect on anybody else with your weird opinions. <coughs> it's what, exactly what religious leaders, bad religious leaders I should say, do today. The important lesson is twofold. There always will be people who set themselves as the authorities of God here on earth. Due to the fallen nature of men, I'm sure this will never change. 
Uh, but more importantly, when Jesus steps into the lives of people, he liberates them from the fear of religious manipulation, from authority, from men casting you out of the synagogue, from besmirching your name, from anything. You don't care. And you stand on your own two feet because Jesus empowers you and you speak the truth. Many sermons that come from nowhere. And those cats don't, cats, whoa, groovy. Those guys don't know what to do with it when they see it. Okay then. Uh, some people don't appreciate or like me here in the state and so on blogs and different things. Uh, they've come up, a couple of them have come up with a thing where they say, I am trying to be like Joseph Smith. Uh, if they're Mormon, they say, I'm trying to be like Joseph Smith. Uh, if they are Christian, they say, I am a, a Joseph Smith. You see the difference? Mormons think Joseph's a great guy, so they say, I'm trying to be one. And the Christians who don't like me don't like Smith, so they say, I am one. Uh, because we're in Utah and because I was once LDS and perhaps because I disagree with people who, in the name of God, do things through organized religion, which Smith did too, I understand, I get a sense of why they would say it. There's a lot of things I understand about the, the comparison. But I want to use the remainder of our time right now before we open the phones and wrap it up. I want to admit to the similarities that are between Smith and I and the, and the differences. Now, you're going to see there's six. There's a few more because I'm going to talk about them of how I'm like Smith. And then there's 26, how I am not like Smith at all. Okay, and I just want to get this on the board so we can clear this stupid uh, rhetoric up and move on to things that are more important. Now, I have to admit something, and we're trying to be transparent, completely transparent with, my, with ourselves on the show. And I um, have believed this since I was born again in 1997. Uh, it's embarrassing to say, but those who are closest to me, my wife and some of my children and some others, have heard me talk about this privately, so I will say it publicly. Uh, I have always believed, since I got into ministry, since I was born again, not before, that I was made by God to possess certain traits that were common to what the founder of Mormonism had, uh, uh, but not to create a fraud, but to respond to them in the honest way. Now, I know that sounds really out there, uh, I don't know why I have started to believe this, uh, but what I have known was the purpose was not to start a new denomination. Campus is not a new denomination. Campus is about everybody coming together and getting along. It's not a denomination. It's just a way to try to approach the faith. I honestly think that this is the way I, that I was born as a, into Mormonism. I learned all about Mormonism. I could understand what it was. I practiced it. I went on the mission. And then I came to know biblical Christianity, and I had the choice. Could, I could go the route of a Denver snuffer, or I could go the route of a biblical Christian, or I could stay in the Mormon church, or whatever it was. Like Smith, uh, and these are some of the strange parallels I found to my life and his that were in Michael Marquardt's, I mean, not Michael Marquardt, Michael uh, Quinn's book, um, I was born with a call on my head, so was Joseph Smith. It's a sign of luck, good luck. I'm the middle son uh, in our family. Uh, I had an older brother like Joseph Smith who died unexpectedly. 
Um, I had a mother who was religiously inclined my whole life, while my father was somewhat religiously indifferent. So did Smith. Uh, he was gifted with charisma. Uh, at a young age, he could influence people with charisma. And at a young age, I could influence people with charisma. Uh, he was called stocky and broad and strong as a young man. He was called portly as he got older. Of course, the latter doesn't apply to me at all, but, uh, uh, but uh, he also had an ability to synthesize large amounts of information into a cohesive whole and try to share them and teach them. So I never thought that these characteristics I had in common uh, until I got in the television ministry and started to study more heavily about him, and I started to see those things coming out. And, uh, and I, like Smith, possess a tendency to be bold and, and proud and bombastic, um, and I don't see anything mystical about this. This isn't like a mystical thing. Um, uh, I don't have the same depth of ability that he had to create uh, theological cohesiveness out of nothing. Uh, but I do have something Smith did not. And that is where he knew the word, uh, I have a dedication to it. I won't step outside of it to create something that's not biblical. And so I work very hard to try to understand what the Bible says about topics. And when I make a comment on them, it's because I have seen through the Bible, and not through crazy magical thinking of the Bible, seen in the Bible that the points I'm making do hold water. They may not be perfect, but they hold water. And so I stand by those biblical tenets. Smith said, I don't need to step by the Bible. I'll be a charlatan. I'll create my own stuff, call it truth, and... Uh, and so I don't do this. I won't do it, uh, God willing. Though people disagree with my interpretation of Scripture, there's nothing present in my interpretation of Scripture that's extra-biblical. They cannot say it's extra-biblical. They can just say your interpretation's incorrect. So uh, with Smith, there was constant uh, taking outside of the biblical narrative. So let me go to the board and talk to you. We're going to go to the other camera. Talk to you about, really quickly, uh, here are things where I am like Smith. Uh, I also disagree with the way churches are today. He did too. He didn't like them. He stood up. And this is where the thing comes. He's trying to be another Joseph Smith. I don't like what the churches are either, you know. Uh, but I don't think it really matters to God what, what direction you are in a church where Joseph Smith said, we're going to give you the only true church. And that's the difference. Uh, I too believe that the spirit is primary. Smith did too, although he had a caveat to that. The prophets, the prophets find, when they speak, that's the final thing to look to. And so he didn't really believe the Spirit is primary. I think the Spirit is primary with the Word being our secondhand witness of what the Spirit is leading us to do and be. I believe, like Smith, that all people have the right to worship how, where, and what they may. I think that's a, a, a God loves freedom as much as he loves anything, and people have the freedom to do what they want to do, and so I stand beside that. I think, uh, similar to Smith, that all people will be reconciled, reconciled to God, but Smith did it through the, giving us three heavens he created, and, uh, but in having these different stratas of the heavens, I don't... I don't know how that works out, but I haven't created or gone with his three heavens because the Bible doesn't support that. Um, and uh, I do propose an alternative to what is currently being done. And my alternative is subjective Christianity 
and his alternative was another religion, legalistic, full of rites and rituals. So it's a big difference, but we're the same in that we both propose alternatives. And finally, I also agree with the import uh, of every person needing to mature faith. So Mormonism is all about progression, and that is not what I, how I put it. I put maturity, and I do believe that the Bible cannot... Uh, you can't get around the fact that God has a desire for those who are his to move from being babes in Christ to uh, being mature Christians. Okay, you're just going to have to fill these in because it'll take too much time. I'm just going to read them to you and tell you where I am. Nothing like Joseph Smith. I do not and never have claimed to be a prophet, a seer, and I don't receive revelations, and uh, I was not called to restore anything. That was number one. Number two, I don't claim to have had any visions, any special power from God. I don't speak for God. I speak what I see from the scripture and the spirit talks to other people. There's no connection there. Number three, uh, I am not seeking to start uh, my own uh, religion. Campus is just an approach. It's an approach any church can include, and that is subjectively pursuing Christ and letting all the legalisms, all the rites, rituals, be a subjective decision in a person's life. If someone wants to pursue Trinity, if someone wants to pursue eternal punishment, if someone wants to pursue no eternal punishment, binity, it's up to the person. And we live that here. Uh, It's a way. It is not a church. This thing won't be replicated because... Uh, we're all too crazy to replicate it. It can't hold together. But churches can embrace more of a subjective approach, and that's all campus is. Number four, uh, he wrote books. I write books, but they're backed by Scripture, and they're surrounded in Scripture, and mine are poorly uh, written. Well, so are his. Uh, uh, I reject all human authority inserted between God and man. I don't believe there's any man, woman, child, being, uh, except Christ Jesus. There is man, there is our mediator, and there is God. Uh, Smith inserted so much in between God and man, it's ridiculous. No comparison whatsoever there. I don't advocate the teachings on God the Father, an eternal regression of God's. I don't advocate the teachings of Je- that Jesus is a created being talking about the Word as a created being, or the Holy Spirit as a created being. I think they're all eternal, uh, Smith. I don't teach a multiplicity of gods. I don't teach that God was once a man. Uh, I believe that there was a hell in place for the nation of Israel, and that's where Satan and his realm reigned, but Christ has had the victory over that. And so uh, Smith used hell as a tool, and they still use hell um, as a tool. Uh, I don't believe Satan still reigns. Uh, Smith and the Mormons talk about Satan as much as they talk about Christ. They talk about the devil. They talk about all the temptation. They, and they focus on him as much as they do Christ. I, I think Satan uh, has been taken care of by the victory Christ had. Um, I don't teach marriage in heaven. I don't believe in celestial marriage. I don't believe in polygamous marriage. And I don't believe in priesthood ceilings to make marriage uh, uh, effective after this life. I think that God has something probably more beautiful after this life than the uh, marriage system that we have here. Uh, Whatever that looks like, he he would uh, institute that. I teach that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. I don't teach that Jesus was a pre-incarnate, a little uh, uh, guy learning to become a God. 
I don't believe in vicarious works. Uh, I don't believe any labors can save a person. We are saved by grace through faith, period, done, over. I don't teach that there is uh, any true living God but one. There is one God, and like I said, not an eternal regression. Uh, I don't teach that men can become gods, but as a caveat, I do teach that all people can become joint heirs, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Uh, and that is something that is often neglected in the Christian faith, and it was more emphasized in Mormonism in terms of progression, but in Mormonism it was become a god. I say you become a joint heir with the uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, joint heir with Christ, God's only human son. Um, I don't teach the second coming. Jesus, uh, Joseph Smith built his church. It was a millennial church, and it was all about the second coming. I believe that should be stripped away from people's fear and from their, their worry, uh, and I think the scripture completely teaches that. Uh, I don't create, um, I don't teach that, that the Bible's corrupted. I don't teach Epistemus Werba, meaning it's word perfect, but I do teach it is reliable, trustworthy, can give us all that God wants us to know into salvation, and I think it is his living word. I think I'm in it, and I don't teach that as far as it's translated correctly. I mean, anyone would agree with that. Anyone would agree as far as the Bible's translated correctly, but it's not like it is not. It is. There's a couple issues, but not big ones. Uh, no need for a restoration, completely anachronistic. Um, I, I do teach, though, that after 70 AD, the material church was done away with, and his spiritual kingdom now reigns in the hearts of people. And he has gathered believers into his church since that time for 2,000 years and will continue to gather people by the Holy Spirit and, uh, and such. Uh, no premortal existence. Don't believe it. It's not biblical at all. Uh, don't teach the need for living apostles, prophets. Uh, don't teach salvation, exaltation by works, righteousness. Don't teach a hierarchy of sin. Uh, no authority over man mentioned that. Don't teach Jesus suffered for sin in the garden. But I do believe that his passion began in the garden because that's where he was tested as to whether he would go to his passion. But I don't believe he suffered for sin there. Um, uh, I don't believe in a literal resurrection of the physical bodies with genitalia and all, as Joseph Smith taught, so that there can be eternal procreative sex uh, for those who reach the highest uh, degree of the celestial kingdom. I do believe we will have a heavenly or spiritual body as uh, resurrected beings, which will have better genitalia. Just kidding on that last part. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> uh, I don't believe in the material uh, kingdom here on earth that religions try to build. That's all Smith believed in. Bringing heaven on earth and making this a paradisiacal glory full of material wealth to replicate what heaven will be like spiritually. Uh, I don't agree with that at all. And I teach there's no need for uh, uh, communion as a means to renew baptismal covenants, which Smith did. That was the last one. Bottom line, I'm not trying to be another Joseph Smith. Uh, I am not another Joseph Smith. I don't think I'm another Joseph Smith. I think we have similarities um, in the type of men that we are. And there are other men walking around who have similarities too, uh, to him in, in what they do. And uh, I just, the only thing I really agree with him is something is really, really wrong with the religious picture. He was not a dummy. He could see there was something wrong. 
And the big difference is he was willing to step outside the Bible to correct it and try to create an empire church, which he did. Uh, and I think that that needs to be deconstruction and there needs to be more unity within the body and let the differences kind of settle themselves out in the eternities with God as our judge. So we'll end that with that. Let's open up the phone lines. There's no calls. Does anybody in the audience tonight have anything they would like to say? If you do, come up and stand here. You can say it to the audience. And if not, we're going to wrap it up. I'll give you, uh, I'll count to eight. No, I'm going to count to seven. Seth is getting the microphone. Six, five, four, three, two, the man, the myth, the legend. Come on over here. Am Act really, like you're my brother. Am I really on live? You're, on, you're, you're live streaming, Brother Patrick. Patrick came to church on Sunday wearing a yarmulke and a cross. He's multifaceted in his varied beliefs. What do you have to say, brother? I have a question. Stay close to me like you like me. Don't look at me. Look at the camera, that red dot. What does joint heir mean? Ooh, good question. What do you think it means? I don't know. Well, joint heir, at least the term, it seems to me means all that Christ has, so will his heirs. That sounds a little Mormon. Well, unfortunately. Is this on? I yeah. Did, yeah. I didn't make it up. It's in Romans. You are joint heirs with him if you suffer with him. Mm. Joint heirs used by Paul. So whether it sounds Mormon, they just took it and ran with it. Said you'll become a god, but I think it means you will have what Christ earned. You'll share that, whatever that is, equally. It's equal. It's joint, mm. co, with him. Does that frighten you? No. All right, good. Anything else, Patricio? No, thanks, Sean. Would you like to sing for us before you go? <laughs> he has a wonderful voice. No, he has a baritone voice. Come over here. Stop acting so scared of me. I don't want to sing. You act like I'm a molester or something. You're pulling from me. No, you're fine. Come here, sweetie. I love you. Okay. Do you want to sing for us? Come on. What's, what's one of the songs you sing, the praise songs that you sing? If you really want me. I do. I do. You're really good. Let's do it. Come on. This is, this is fun. <laughs> Come on, give it your all. Clear your voice. For the whole world to For hear. For the whole world to hear. All. The whole world. <laughs> Which one? Uh, one of the ones you love that, teach, that sings Jesus' heart for you. Be still my soul. Be still. Here I go. Hey, give me a second. Okay. Are you getting nervous? <laughs> yeah. That's a first. That's okay. I'm on live. Je you're doing this for Jesus. So sing for Jesus. Do you want me to use the microphone? Yes! <clears throat> I can't do it. Okay, hold on. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. <clears throat> Let not thy hope Thy confidence shake, all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the wind and waves still know Jesus' voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Acapella. 
no warning, no training, right? Yeah. Just up here. Can you imagine what would happen if someone sat with him and, and talked about a pitch a little bit and gave you, you I mean, you have a fantastic. would be better. Well, of course, we'd all be better with training. You, uh, it's a beautiful voice. Thanks. Thank you, brother. I know you love Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Joan has a question off camera. Take it over to her, please, Vanna. Yeah. It's a live show tonight, kids. Live show. We have Mark online, too. We're going to take that in just a second. Thanks, Mary. Okay, I found the comment or the, the thing that Bert, that I talked to you earlier about, yes. was referring to, and it was um, it, the word eternal in the Greek and what it means in, in uh, like... Respecting, oh, it's translated in the English? Re, yeah, respecting God versus other things that are talked about eternally in the Bible. Yeah. Do you remember this, the, the show? No, but I know the argument. Okay. I know the discussion. And you actually like were really fascinated with the points he brought up about God eternal versus, and, and I think the discussion was about eternal punishment mm -hmm. as being not eternal because man is not has not been eternal they they had a man had a beginning and god being eternal so there was the differentiation between the two points is that kind of i don't know if that was it uh and but the thing with eternal and god is that people say well scripture talks about god being an eternal god right he's an eternal god and that word is the same word that we use for eternal punishment and so, therefore, punishment is eternal after this life for people who are going to experience it. But the thing about it is, is the, the word, there, is, there are words for eternal in the Greek that would be, can be used, but they're never used, ever used for punishment. They're aeon or aeonas, which is where we get the word eons, and it means a period of time. It's an age. So the literal, literal translations, when it talks about punishment, all, and they talk about the age. They never talk about eternity. The King James translators took Aeon and Aeonus and they imputed eternity into that. They will forever and ever, and it, and it never would be in the Greek. That is pro that's maybe what he was talking about, um, but I don't know. Yeah, that sounds similar to what the argument was that he yeah. was making, and it, it made a lot of sense when you guys were describing, talking about eternal punishment being for man is not the same, it's just not the same meaning as for the eternal God being eternal God. Yeah, and, the other one is, the is they'll say, do you believe that there's such a thing as eternal life? When Jesus say, says you'll have eternal life, but the scripture does not call it eternal life. The scripture calls it age abiding life. And so it seems to, according to the Greek, that we will die and we will have a certain period of time where we live in a certain way and there's other periods to follow. So that's all, that's all we can say, but the punishment is, is not eternal. Great. Hope that helps. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Anybody else off camera? Uh, okay, we've got two more and I think we're going to have our brother Mark. I won't mention his last name. He's going to do an interpretive dance of Job for us. The entire book of Job, interpretive dance. <laughs> so Mark, warm up. Stretch. <laughs> Go ahead, Reed. I have thanked Sean for this before, but I'll do it again publicly. 
preterism. Very few people understand it. Very few people have been introduced to this principle or idea. But it has really changed my life and uh, told, helped me to take a different look at religion. And then I refer to Christ's words, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning it is not many words, ability to preach, knowledge of the scriptures. It's not dogmatism. You must be teachable. And of all the churches in this valley, I think that this is one of the very, very few where there is open thinking and an ability to come to the truth in, in the way that God would lead you. So I just publicly thank Sean for that. I cannot sell this principle to anybody else. <laughs> I make A's every time I try. It's like just yeah. impossible. Yeah. But I thank you for that. Oh, praise God, Brother Reed. Hey, uh, you know what? Uh, someone gave me a uh, how to understand end times, and it gives all the end time things. This is from a Christian bookstore. Preterism's not even in it. <laughs> so it's no wonder no one gets it. It's really funny. And by the way, I have to thank the guy in Canada who decided to send me Glenn Hill's book, or else I wouldn't know. So, I, I mean, it's not original to me. Someone taught me, and I taught it because it convicted me like it convicted Reed. Mary, I think up here, was it the two of you? No. Adam Guyman has a, has a quick question, and then we're going to Mark in Canada. Pretty much you had mentioned as well uh, when the blind man had uh, received his sight. Yeah. And uh, I, I, now I don't know if it's the same way today over there, uh, how they or if it would be different versus, you know, from when Jesus was alive, or do they believe the same exact, this, you know, would they have the same, if that happened today right now, would it be the same what? Well, uh, you know, the way that, because it sounded like there was something, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but there was a something that, that was, you know, how you were, you have talked about how, the uh, different uh, ways that things were back then versus now, how how we interpret different things like that. Because I noticed that uh, that I don't know if they consider the Sunday the Sabbath over there, or if it's you know what I'm saying. Would consider Sunday Friday night to Saturday night, and they still go. I mean, if they're an Orthodox or a Reformed Jew, they would still follow the. You know, the tenets of the faith as, as they understood it, pre-Christian beliefs. So Sunday would not mean anything to them. And I don't know about healings and Sanhedrin and the blind and all that. I don't, you know, I don't know about that. But in terms of those laws, no, Adam, I, I think they still try to follow them. Thanks, brother. We're going to go uh, uh, Mark on line two. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, first of all, Patrick has a wonderful voice. Even Simon Cowell wouldn't buzz him, I tell you that much. All right. So, beautiful voice. Um, what I um, wanted to, uh, first of all, two, two parts here. Um, I had, uh, last week, had a, the Lord had led me to 
indirectly to a, an alliance church, which, like, there's no Holy Spirit at it, but anyhow, I know some people there, and it turned out I met some other people, and we ended up going for uh, pizza and that stuff, and it was just all by divine uh, um, meeting. Turns out the one gentleman who, he's he's a Christian, his wife, um, who's from the Philippines, and then her, a few of her, like her sisters and that, like he's Christian, but they're, they're, um, they're Mormon here in Edmonton. Uh-huh. And for some reason, the Lord just, well, it just popped in my head to say that I was ex-Mormon, now Christian, and so on and so forth, and anyhow... I've uh, started introducing them to your archive stuff, and I do have a question here. Yeah. Um, do I just take them by baby steps in your archives and then let them go to campus and, and in milk and that stuff, or do I? Uh, is it too much at the level that you're at right now, or is it, should I just start at, at the archive level? Uh, yeah, what we're doing now, if, it's, if they're LDS, it might be good to just, just have them freely watch the archives and uh, let that stuff sink in about Mormonism and, uh, and, yeah. then, and then maybe introduce them to milk. Definitely not meat at campus. And, uh, no, let, no. Yeah. I'm even having a hard time with that part. <laughs> you are, so am I. Uh, um, not all of it, I'm just joking. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, um, I just, uh, also, I wanted to, um, I'll, I'll do that with them, because I'm just working with them here and there when they want to. That's awesome, brother. And, um, but also, I'm really confused on uh, why, like, I was listening to David Jeremiah, um, I listened to his stuff online, and he did, I know they all preach on tithing and that stuff, but why do they take Malachi the, and, and butcher it? Like, yeah, can Lord you just help me God? understand that? Because, I mean, they it's just want to live on tithing, I mean. It's because it's convenient. It's a great passage. I mean, if you can throw that on people, will a man rob God? You have robbed me. How have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Bring your tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove the Lord herewith. I mean, it's a, that he will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there won't be room enough for you to receive it. What a wonderful passage to throw on people today. Oh, by the way, yeah. it's Malachi, and by the way, it has no contextual application to believers today, but it sounds really good. It really irritates me. Yeah. And Fight that's it. What, you know, and I, I like a lot of stuff, but these TV preachers... Uh, they um, have a tendency just to go for that one every once in a while. Yeah, they do. Uh, I, I guess it's, I know at church they do, and I'm getting fed up even at church. I mean, good. Uh, it gets to the point that you just, I, didn't, I haven't gone for a while because it just starts to tick me off. That's the way to do it. Especially when, especially when they're running a $150,000 deficit. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, God bless you. Uh, that I'll just have them. I'll we'll just start them off in uh, art in archives and go from there. Then sounds good, brother. Thanks for calling. Thank you for having your ministry. It uh, it really helps. It's a it's a blessing. I love doing it, and I'm blessed doing it. Thanks, my friend. Okay. We're going to See John. Bye bye. We're going to John in Maryland. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. John. Sounds like a sleeping bear. John. <laughs> 
John. John hung up. Sleep. <laughs> We're out of time. Uh, listen, you guys, uh, tune in next week. Remember, February 13th, 8 to 11. Uh, James, I think it's Dr. I think it's Dr. James White. There's different things online, I can't tell, but I'm going to just call him Dr. James White. Uh, a reformed, that means Calvinistic Baptist, will be here. And we have a question from the audience. Sir. Does anybody know that Santa Tanner will be giving, I think, a six part symposium on Mormonism at some church over there on 9th East, I think? Is it 9th East or is it South Mountain? In Murray, Utah, Sandra Tanner will be giving a six or nine part series. Six, six part series on Ninth East beginning when? February something. Four Probably thirteenth. <laughs> okay, uh, wait, one more time. Four eight five eight eight nine four. Four eight five eight eight nine four. Area code eight oh one is Sandra's number. Call her and ask her what church she'll be uh, teaching these six parts on Mormonism. Used to be a CMA, but it's something else now. Does anyone else have a message for me to relate to the audience? It's the discovery on Vine Street and 9th. That's her church, so she'll be going there. Anything else? Does anyone have a recipe you want to share? What? Oh, yeah. If you want to watch a fantastic series, if you have Netflix, watch Godless. It's only about nine episodes. It is fantastic, and there's surprise in there to watch if you have ever or have an interest in Mormonism. Check it out. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.